let's dive right into week two of the Back to the Book series. Come on, church, let's give a massive welcome to Pastor Megan. Good morning, everyone. So glad you're here joining us, whether you're here in person or online, I'm so glad you are here. Anybody in here ready and expectant to see what God's going to do today? I know I am. Yeah, we can clap for that, right? I believe that God's presence is here this morning and that he's really going to move in our service. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump in today. Um, This is week two of our Back to the Book study. If you haven't jumped into our Bible reading plan, I highly encourage you to jump on in. Um, It's not too late. You can jump in at any time. You can go ahead and head to our website and get yourself connected in there. Um, It's been really incredible just to see everybody jumping in and communicating over the week and just sharing what they're getting out of the scripture. Because as you know, we all, when we go to the Bible, we receive what God is teaching us. And then it's really incredible when we go in and then somebody else puts down what God is teaching them and it's like, oh, I'll take that one too, right? It's really awesome. So I really encourage you to jump in there if you haven't already. So last week, uh, Pastor Tom spoke and he said, he talked about how um, the Bible is primarily teaching us why we love God and how to love people. And this week, we're gonna be talking about truth and freedom. The truth and freedom that we find from the Bible. As I look around the world, it is evident that there is a great need for us to be back in our Bible. Anybody agree with me on that? We need to be in our Bible more. See, the world teaches us that we should let our hearts lead. That we need to love ourselves more. We are told to follow our hearts. We need to do what makes us happy because me being happy is the most important. Our hearts will lead us to the truth and to live free is to live by our heart. The very things that the world promises if we do all those things, it actually leads to the opposite of what is promised. There is more depression, anxiety, division, less tolerance, more loneliness, and suicide in the world today. The more we focus on ourselves and solely do what we want and desire, the unhappier and less fulfilled we are. The exact opposite of what the world has promised. Because the world promises that if I focus on myself more, if I make myself happy, If I love myself more, that I will be happier. We can all agree that this is all evident in the world. And we can agree that the world is very self-focused. However, this has crept into the church as well. But the good news is we shouldn't be surprised. In 2 Timothy, this is what it says. It says, you should know this. Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. 
They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Does this sound familiar? But Paul is actually talking specifically about false teachers, and he's specifically talking about people in the church. He's not talking about people out in the world, the evil that's happening outside. He's talking about how this way of thinking has infiltrated the church, that people in the church will only love themselves. People in the church will only love their money. People in the church will be arrogant and ungrateful. People in the church will, be, will consider nothing sacred. People in the church will be unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, and have no self-control. People in the church will hate what is good and be cruel. People in the church will love pleasure rather than God. People in the church will act religious but reject the power that can make them godly. So I think it was a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm rarely ever in the news, but something that I picked up on was that um, as Christians, we were outraged over a Grammy performance. There was a Grammy performance that we were really outraged about. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have been angry about it, but I'm also saying we shouldn't be surprised that this performance wasn't done by somebody who claims to be a Christian or somebody who claims to walk in the way that we do. We can be upset and we can be frustrated and we can be concerned about our children and what they're watching and consuming. I know I I get concerned about that for my own children, but I can tell you what I'm even more concerned about. I'm more concerned about the subtlety, the the subtle messages the subtle things that are entering into our church. Not those big, obvious things that are out there, but the the things that are subtle and could easily go unnoticed. It might just kind of be one little step, and then another step, and then another step, and then another step. There is this subtle message of focus on yourself, do what's best for you, love yourself more, that is becoming an all-consuming message until we are funneling everything through ourselves. This message is making promises that it cannot keep. It's making promises that it can't keep. Let me just live my truth. I need to focus on me. It's not working. The Bible teaches us that we have to look to the Word of God for guidance. The Bible teaches us that truth doesn't just find us, but that we have to seek after it through seeking after God and through His Word. The problem with searching for freedom in lies is that it leads to the opposite of what that promise is. It leads to more self-centeredness, which leads to more loneliness, which leads to more unhappiness. We need to recognize the lies as counterfeits, the counterfeits that they are because they will not bring the freedom that they promise because they are counterfeits. Everyone wants freedom. Everybody wants freedom. 
We're going to go ahead and pray. God, I just pray right now, God, for this service today. God, I pray that you would just open up our hearts this morning, God. God, I pray that there would be a true hunger, God, in our hearts. God, to just seek after you, to do whatever it takes to seek after you. God, to leave things behind that we have no business carrying with us. The things that maybe we have just a tr- we have brought on ourselves along the way and thought, that's not so bad. God, I pray that this morning, God, that you would um, show those things to us, God. But God, I pray ultimately that when we get to the end of this service this morning, God, that we will be hungrier for you, God. God, that we would want to seek you more. God, that we would want to know you more. We'd be desperate for you, God. God, I pray that this, that throughout this message, that even if it's a little bit challenging, God, that, that we would find the freedom in the challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone wants freedom. Everyone is trying to find freedom, whether they are searching for it in the world or in his word. We can only find freedom, though, through seeking truth. And here is what the Bible has to say about truth. In John, it says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Jesus is addressing the Jewish people here, that they are in need of freedom. This type of freedom that they are in need of from their sin is from their sin. And it would come through Jesus. See, the Jewish people didn't believe kind of that they were exempt from this kind of freedom because they were God's chosen people. But God was saying that the same freedom that the Gentiles need is the same freedom that you need. See, the Bible teaches us that we will be free by living by his truth. Truth is a person. That person is Jesus. We must live by his teaching and not how we feel. We will only find truth through Jesus, not through ourselves. This is counter to what the world says. The world says we find truth when we search within ourselves. John 14 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. To live by truth is to know Jesus and to live in relationship with Jesus. To live how he desires us to live. Living in a relationship with Jesus, it sets us free from sin. The world teaches us that we will be free by living by our own truth. But we have come to value experience over truth. The problem being that our experience is limited to just that. Our experience, our worldview. Truth comes from the ultimate worldview and the ultimate authority. We cannot base our decisions, our thoughts, and beliefs solely on our experience and our feelings. We should desire to look for guidance. We should want it. We should want to appeal to a higher authority 
to wisdom, knowing that we have limitations, because we do. We are limited in our thinking. We do not know everything, despite sometimes we might think we do, right? But we don't know everything. We do not have all the answers, and the answers do not lie within ourselves. The answers lie within Jesus. The Bible brings freedom because the Bible brings truth. The Bible brings freedom because the Bible brings truth. When I was in my early uh, 20s, I went on a missionary trip to Guatemala. And uh, the trip to Guatemala was an interesting one because we didn't get to actually like stay in hotels. We didn't get to stay in like a house, like a, well, we stayed in a house, but it wasn't like a, a normal house. We had to hike into this remote village that you could only get to either by hiking or by this little tiny boat. And it took almost a full day of hiking to get into this village. And when we came into the village, we realized that the accommodations would be interesting while we were there. They were all mud huts. There was no running electricity, running water, any of those luxuries that we know. And we would be sleeping on the floor of a mud hut, which was also mud, and we would be bitten up by bugs all week long. Um, and no matter how many times I kind of buried myself in my um, sleeping bag and put it over the top of my head at night, I still woke up with bug bites all over. So, but the interesting thing about this village was that there was one building. There was an actual building made out of concrete, and this building had a generator that powered it and gave it electricity. And now I'm thinking about it, why couldn't we stay in there? They never told, why didn't, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, but they had a generator that powered it. And come to find out, the village was uh, really wrapped up in pagan idolatry. And then some missionaries, they had come in and they had built the, a church for them and had proclaimed the message of Jesus, which was really cool. It was really awesome. And uh, these people took to it. But the, the problem was that they didn't have the same resources that we had. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have um, teaching. And they were doing their best to follow God. But what they had done was they had combined the two. So they were still worshiping. I can't remember if it was ancestry worship or um, idols, but they were still worshiping things that weren't God. And there were still some sort of murmurs of sacrifices in the area. And then, and men were still abusing their wives. And it was a really interesting thing to see because they, they wanted to love God, but they didn't want to let go of what they had either. And there was no one there to help guide them. They didn't have the word of God and things like that. And so it's easy for us to see how that would be problematic and how maybe they weren't fulfilling what God had for them fully because they wouldn't let go. 
but we're the same. We are the same. Because we have combined our Christianity with different things. We have combined Christianity with worldliness. We have combined Christianity with politics. Whether it's nationalism or liberalism, we have combined our Christianity with things and called it Christianity. But that's not what God has designed for us. Because he wants all of us. God uses his word, his teaching, and we need it so that we don't get off course. In John 14, it says, But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Here are just a few things that make the Bible essential to us. The first thing is, the Bible helps us to align our hearts to his truth. Tom read this scripture last week in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus was replying to the Pharisees because they were trying to trap him. They wanted to see if he was going to abolish the commandments altogether. Instead, he replied back with two of the commandments from the Old Testament, one of which was love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. In other words, love God with your whole self. The world tells us to love ourselves first, but the Bible calls us to love God above everything and everyone else. Without aligning our hearts and fixing our heart on God, our hearts will lead us astray. They will. It says in Jeremiah, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our hearts on their own will leave us to devastating and broken places. And in the expositor's commentary, it says this, If there is such blessing in trusting God, then why do people so generally depend on their fellow humans? The answer lies in the innate depravity of the human heart. The source of all human difficulty is the human heart, which stands for the total inner being, including reason. From the heart come action and will. The human heart is more deceptive than anything else. It is desperately corrupt and, humanly speaking, incurable. Who on earth can plumb the depths of the heart's corruption and sickness? Even its owner does not know it. It's scary, right? Even its owner does not know it. We must love God with everything. When we love God, we prioritize him and what he has for us. And we know this because we read our Bible. So the first thing was the Bible helps us to align our hearts to his truth. The second thing, the Bible helps us to align our mind with his truth. In Romans 12, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We need to think less like the world. The way that we do that is by allowing God to transform us and change the way that we think so that we begin to think how God created us to think. Through this, we will know God's will for us, which is 
good, pleasing, and perfect. That's freedom, right? What is good, pleasing, and perfect? In other words, when our mind is aligned with his truth, we will be fulfilled and free. In Hebrews, it says, but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. The law of the Lord will be written in our mind if we are his people. Let's be people who read our Bibles so that we know how we should think, and it can adjust our thinking where it needs to be adjusted. I don't know about you, but I need to adjust my thinking sometimes. Sometimes even with the best intentions, my thinking gets off track. And just like Guatemala, their hearts and their minds weren't fully aligned with God. Their ideas were blended and mixed, just like we can be. So the first thing is the Bible helps us to align our heart to his truth. Second, the Bible helps to align our mind with his truth. And the third thing, the Bible helps to align our path with his truth. Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but its end is death. And again, it says this in Proverbs 16, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends to death. Must be really important. The easy and most convenient, least uncomfortable path is almost always never the right path. The Bible tells us that a path that sometimes might seem like it's right can actually lead to death. I'm sure that we all have stories of where we've thought something isn't quite so bad and found ourselves in a spot where actually it was pretty bad, right? Well, this is what um, Trimper Longman has to say. The proverb deals with human perception versus reality. What seems the right path of life may well turn out to lead to dire consequences. The proverb calls on the wise to constantly question and evaluate their life plan. We cannot trust our own mind without weighing it up with what God has to say. The picture of roads and paths was something that Jesus also used. In Matthew, this is what it says. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for many who choose that way, but the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. We aren't going to find and stay on the right path without God's help, without putting him first. This scripture says it's really hard. It's really hard. But with Jesus, we can do it. With being in his word, we can do it. The Bible will always give us the truth, even if it's not what we want to hear. Even if it's not what we want to hear. It's easy to go out and find all the things we want to hear. But the Bible will never let us down. Walkie states when talking about the verses from Proverbs and the verse from Matthew, he says this, the deceptive road leads, or the, yeah, the deceptive road leads as certainly to death as the plainly marked one. It is deceptive because there is conflict between the limited, opaque human perception of truth and the constitution of reality itself. 
Only the omniscient, omnipotent God knows the true road that leads to life, reality as it actually is. Truth is beyond the reach of finite humanity. The Lord himself must reveal the right way through his inspired sage or the word of God. And the disciple must accept that revelation by faith. Truth is beyond our reach without God, which is why we fail at this without him. We find the right way to live and stay on the path through the Bible, the word of God. This is, then it is our responsibility to accept it and to put it into practice. So the Bible helps us to align our heart to his truth. The Bible helps to align our mind with his truth. The Bible helps to align our path with his truth. And the fourth thing is the Bible teaches us that well-intentioned people will lead us down the wrong path. Well-intentioned people will lead us down the wrong path. In Isaiah, it says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. There are people who will try to convince you that what is wrong is actually good, that maybe you have it wrong, that maybe what you've been reading in your Bible isn't quite right. This has been happening since the beginning of time, though. Can't be surprised. This happened back in the Garden of of Eden. The serpent promised Eve. Remember that? What did the serpent promise Eve? That what God said would be bad would actually be good, right? That if you actually eat this fruit, that maybe... What God told you isn't true. Maybe God's withholding something from you. Maybe he's withholding something good from you. The lie is still the same. There will be people whose intentions seem good that will try to get you to question what God has called wrong. This is what Moiter says in response to this passage. The moral code has been rewritten. People no longer feel guilty when they depart from what was once considered right. Just as one man's meat is another man's poison, so personal taste now rules supreme. If a course of behavior seems bitter or sweet to someone, then that's what it is. We will always be fighting with our own personal desires. That will always be a thing. But I think it's terrifying to think that you get to a place where you don't feel guilty anymore. When you depart what you know is right and it suddenly feels right to depart what's right. Feels good to do what's wrong. We deceive ourselves when we begin to tell ourselves it's really not that bad. Surely that's not what God meant. In the NIV application commentary, it says this, rather it is declaring that there is no such thing as sin, that in fact, what was previously declared to be wrong is actually right, and that has been considered right is actually wrong. Such persons have dismissed God from the picture entirely. They are so wise that they can make up their own morality. Oddly enough, this new morality takes the shape of direct opposition to what had been God's standards. Is not a matter of simply picking and choosing, but a specific controversy of what had been declared right and wrong. 
This suggests that what is going on is not merely asserting one's right to choose one's own moral conventions, but is rather a revolt against any moral authority at all. What is good is evil, and what is evil is good. Be careful with what and who you are listening to and surrounding yourself with. Watch for those subtleties. Look for those things. Being in your Bible will help you to know what is good and pleasing to God so that you will know a counterfeit when you see one. Did you know that in banks, they don't actually go through every single bill and check if it's a counterfeit? They don't take, if you've ever seen those pens that you can run across it or hold the bill up, they don't do that with every single bill. That's because they handle money every single day, all day long. And because they handle money every single day and all day long, they can feel the difference of a counterfeit. And when the counterfeit, when something doesn't feel right, then they can check it with their pen or hold it up to see the seal, but they don't check every single bill that they count because they know they spend enough time with it. So the same with our Bibles. The more we spend time with our Bibles, we will recognize a counterfeit. We will have that little thing that goes off and says, that's not quite right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that because God's word says this. We will begin to recognize those counterfeits. So the first thing is the Bible helps us to align our hearts to his truth. Second, the Bible helps to align our mind with his truth. The third, the Bible helps to align our path with his truth. And the fourth, the Bible teaches us that well-intentioned people will lead us down the wrong path. And the fifth, the Bible teaches us that sacrifice is inevitable when we live in his truth. Sacrifice is inevitable. No one likes that word, sacrifice. No one likes to be put out. We just read a little while ago from Romans, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And then later on in the same chapter, Paul goes on to say this. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. You have to hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine, genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's a hard one. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Those are all sacrifice. Every single one of those doesn't always feel good to our flesh. In fact, a lot of times we want to do the exact opposite. It's going to take sacrifice to live in his truth. 
to have the freedom we so desire, we will be expected to sacrifice. It's an expectation. We can't avoid it. The easy, most self-centered way is not what God calls us to. When the world is saying, help yourself first, the Bible says, work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Don't be lazy. When your schedule says, I am too busy to jump in, the Bible says, help those in need. The Bible calls us to selflessness. The world calls us to selfishness. God's word helps us to know the truth and to live in the freedom he desires for us. Being in God's word will help us to stay on his path. In Psalm 119, it says, your word is the lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The NIV application commentary says this, the psalmist needs a lamp to light his way because of the darkness that threatens the path. This darkness is the result of the affliction he is enduring and the traps being set by the wicked to snare him. While traps are often set along the well-worn paths, the light of God's word will enable the psalmist to see such snares and avoid them altogether. Our paths will have rough patches. It's a promise. There will be things that get in the way. There will be traps, but God's word enables us to avoid the dark places by shedding light on them so that we can see them before we find ourselves in them. God's word is vital to our relationship with him. He, it is vital to our growing relationship with him. We need the light that God's word brings to illuminate his truth in the darkness. We need it. If you are not in your Bible, you cannot be surprised when you find yourself in spots that you never intended to find yourself in. It says his word is the lamp. His word will illuminate the truth. John 8 says, we read this once, we're gonna read it again. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. His truth will set us free to live in the way he created us to live. It will keep us from picking up regrets and heartache along the way. So the five things are the Bible helps us to align our heart with his truth. The Bible helps align our mind with his truth. The Bible helps align our path with his truth. The Bible teaches us that well-intentioned people will lead us down the wrong path. And the Bible teaches us that sacrifice is inevitable when we live in his truth. In Matthew, when talking to the disciples, Jesus is talking about how the world is, and this is what he says, but among you, it will be different. Church, is it different? But among you, it will be different. It needs to be different. The world isn't going to come to church because we're like the world. They will come to the church because they are sick of the world. People will be sick of the world and they need us to look differently. They are sick of what the world has to offer. They are sick of the, what the world's empty promises, sick of the loneliness, sick of the emptiness, and sick of the selfishness. As a church, we must be different. As followers of Jesus, we must be different. We can't be wrapped up in ourselves, in our own preferences, in our own desires. We need to go back to the basics, to our foundation, to the truth, to Jesus. 
following Jesus requires us to sacrifice, to live selflessly. The world will require us to focus on self and live selfishly and they package it perfectly and beautiful. But that's not the promise. The promise is that in order to have freedom, we have to sacrifice, we have to live selflessly. If we are using our own thoughts and opinions to guide us morally, it's no wonder we find ourselves in more bondage and not freedom. We need freedom. The pursuit of freedom leads us to Jesus. The Bible leads us to truth. Being desperate for God will lead us to, des to be desperate for his word. It all comes together. This week, as many of you, I've been following a little bit of the Asbury Revival. And I found it so interesting because unlike any other revival before, it didn't get started by an evangelist or by a really incredible word. It was started because of people being desperate, being sick of what the world has to offer. Being sick of the empty promises, of the baggage that they have collected along the way. That is how this revival started. People desperately seeking and then coming down to the altars and saying, I'm not leaving here until I meet with God. I am not gonna leave. We need more of that. I was listening to an evangelist who was talking about the Asbury Revival, and this is what he says. Nick Hall, he said, until God's enough for us, nothing is going to be enough for us. Until he is enough for us, nothing will ever be enough for us. We'll keep chasing enough. A lot of people who have called themselves Christians have acted just as crazy as the world. That is what he said. And he said, people are flooding in there and repenting. They're repenting for the things that they've let get in the way of their relationship with God. They're being vulnerable and yelling out those things. People haven't left there for days. And yet some of us can't wait to get to lunch. We have to be desperate for God. We have to be desperate for His truth. The Bible brings freedom because the Bible brings truth. We have to get back to that. I have a few things for you to consider this week and today. First thing, have you joined the Bible reading plan or have you an established or do you have an established Bible reading plan? Are you in your Bible? The second thing, what influences you more, the world or the word? It's really easy with social media. It's really easy with the news. It's really easy to not disconnect and to have a majority of your day where the thing that's filling you up is the very thing that's going to rob you of your freedom. And thirdly, what lies have you believed that promised freedom? 
What are those things that maybe you've collected along the way that made you think that they offered freedom? Because there's grace and there's forgiveness for those things. But we have to recognize them. What are those things? Here in a little bit, we're gonna go back into worship. And I'm gonna ask that today, when you go into worship, that you think about these things. You think about the questions. You think about, where am I at with God? I think most of us in here would say, we know God, we believe in God, we have a relationship with God. But are we desperate for Him? Are we seeking after Him? Are we reading our Bibles? Because reading our Bibles is this desperation of, I just wanna know more about God. I just wanna know Him more. I just need to know Him more. Aren't you desperate for him? Do you love him more and above everything else? And then when we get through worship today, we will close out service, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time of where you can stay and you can pray if you want to, and you can desperately seek God we feel like we should do that in light of the revival. I think what Tom had to say today was, you know, we was talking about in our morning meeting was that there are people who might say we shouldn't chase after revival, but why not? Why wouldn't we chase after God's presence? Why wouldn't we? We all should want more of God. So if you wanna stay after service today, we're gonna, there's not gonna be anybody preaching. We're just gonna see what God's gonna do. And that's gonna be after we close out. But before we do that, I wanna have all of us bow our heads, close our eyes. And if you are in here today, whether you're online with us or in person, and you would say, I haven't put God first yet. I don't, I have not started my relationship with him. That that first commandment of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, I haven't put that into practice, but I want to. I want to put Jesus first in my life. Then I wanna give you that opportunity this morning because God desperately wants to meet with you. God desperately wants a relationship with you. He is actively pursuing you. So with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna go around the room. If that is you and you wanna raise your hand, I would love to pray with you. I'm on my right, your left, and I'm just gonna make my way across the room. If that's you and you wanna just slip your hand up, I'm gonna pray for you today. Over on my right. Moving across the room. In the center of the room. Yes, I see you. 
Who else can I pray for? Yeah, I see you. Okay. Yeah, I see you. Okay, I'm over on my left. Yeah, I see you. And I want to make myself, make my way back around the room if you feel that tug on your heart. I'm going to give you the opportunity to raise your hand again. Yes, I see you. Yes, I see you. Who else can I pray for today? Anybody else? I don't want to leave anyone out today. All right. We're going to go ahead and I want to just celebrate those people who raised their hands today. If you're online with us and you made a decision, you can go ahead and select that raised hand button and somebody's going to reach out to you. We're going to pray this prayer together and I ask that everyone prays this with me. Lord Jesus. I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. is the best decision that you could ever make. It's why you were created. God created you to have a relationship with him. And we would love to connect with you here in a few minutes. Our prayer, time, our prayer team is gonna come down and they have a gift for you, the book of John that we would love to get put in your hands and get your information so we can connect with you. Don't leave here without telling someone that you made a decision. All right, church, I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to go back into worship. God, I just thank you so much, God, for who you are, God. We thank you, God, that you are the God of the universe, God, that you see us right where we are at, God. God, that you desire a relationship with us. God, we pray right now, God, that we would be desperate for you, God. God, that we would desperately seek you. God, I pray that we would just throw off anything else that would inhibit our abilities to know you, God, and to truly follow you. God, we just thank you, God, for your presence. God, we pray that as we go into this time of worship, God, God, that we would worship you with everything, God. God, that we wouldn't be thinking about the next thing that we need to get to, but we're thinking about this moment and about connecting with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.